Um, so on my Facebook feed, they have this little thing of people you may know, and there's this profile picture of a disembodied head floating over a piano. That's you. Yeah. I get that now. I'm going to send you a friend request. That's awesome. Thanks for doing that. I've never heard you sing or play before, and I don't want to preach right now because I just kind of want to process that. You guys live dangerously here. You put a comfort pad behind the pulpit? You know this expands our preaching ability by about 15 minutes. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a joy to be able to come back and, and be here at Southern Hills E-Free again. It's kind of like home away from home for us, and it seems like August. We're always coming here when there's some kind of vacation Bible school promo or, or something like that happening. I had a little bit of a one of those flashbacks, traumatic things, when you put your BBS thing up because uh, the Frozen theme. Uh, we did we did a vacation Bible school, and my little girl was about that little. Now she's that little, but uh, we had a drawing each day. If you brought a friend, you got to put your name in and your friend's name into this drawing. And at the end of the week, if your name was drawn. Uh, you got to put a pie in the pastor's face. And my daughter won the drawing. And the pie was banana cream pie. And it was frozen. (laughs) Don't ever do that, Nick. (laughs) To make sure it's a plate full of whipped cream or something. (laughs) About broke my nose. (laughs) Well... Today, as I come up here, I, I had a lot of thinking to do this week, and, uh, and I was thinking about things that I cannot do. You know that phrase, I cannot even. I can't even. Um, I can't manage to make it from the sink to the refrigerator with an ice cube tray without dribbling water the whole way. I am incapable of making it all the way there without spilling a trail. You can ask my wife, there's never been a time where I have succeeded at that. Now, I, I am kind of good at one thing. When I was a painter, when I painted houses, I could walk into a, into a room and I could help the, the, the people there by, by visualizing what their paint color would look like before we even put it on the wall. And I thought that was something everybody could do until my wife picked out colors for our bathroom one year. And then I realized not everybody can visualize <laughs> what that color is going to look like. So we had this like tangerine orange bathroom for years. Uh, we had the citrus-scented hand soap, and my son hated it. He said he always felt like he had to lick the walls uh, whenever he smelt that. Uh, but, you know, even though I could do that, I am not able to diagnose or fix a, a vehicle. I just don't have that capability. It's, it's sick. You know, that's, that's all I know. Someone call a doctor and let them come in and, and take care of that. I know that as a human being that I am completely incapable as a man of experiencing childbirth. Amen. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> From what I hear, that's a good thing because we couldn't take it. We could not do that. Now, there's things I cannot do that I could probably learn to do. Um, my wife thinks I can learn to make it from the sink to the refrigerator with that ice cube tray, but I'm not so sure. I could probably maybe learn how to diagnose and fix what's wrong with a vehicle, but, you know, I can never learn childbirth. That's, that's something I can't do. 
What I want us to do today is to think about our incapabilities, and especially spiritually. Because you and I, it's very easy for us to fall into this trap of thinking it's up to me. This Christian thing, I've got to, I've got to try harder. You know, we've done camp time and time again, and you see that happen a lot with the campers where I'm going to try harder this year. It's going to be a different story this year, and they come back to camp, and, you know, and it wasn't a different story. And, uh, and, and I realized to myself, I, I can do nothing in myself that has any eternal weight or value. But it's so easy to get it into our heads that, okay, Jesus saved me. Now it's up to me. Now let's pray, and uh, we're going to look at some scripture today. Father, as I, as I stand here on this very comfortable mat, <laughs> um, I'm in a very uncomfortable place. Because to, to bring your word to people is, is not something I would want to do or choose to do. And it's certainly not something I'm capable of doing. Uh, if I try to do this by myself, it's going to be a mess. So Lord, help me. And uh, I pray that your spirit speaks. And I pray also that your spirit enables hearts to uh, hear and to listen. But most of all, I pray that your spirit would cause our hands and feet to do something uh, with what we learn from your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Speaking of incapabilities, apparently I'm learning that's, that Mark is not capable of taking a camping trip without having a flat tire. <laughs> is this right that he had the same thing happen last year, too? Yeah. And he did it twice this time, I think? So I'm never traveling with him. <laughs> Alrighty, well, I want to look at three scriptures today. Romans chapter 3. And Ephesians chapter 2 and John chapter 15. And I've got a few other passages that I'm going to just jump in there in between those things. And I don't usually do that. I usually park on one text. But somehow as I was thinking about my incapabilities this week, um, these passages kept coming up. Like, for example, Romans chapter 3 beginning with verse 9. Paul's writing and he says, what then? Are we better off? And he's speaking about the Jews spiritually. He says, are the Jews in a better spiritual condition than the Gentiles? Certainly not. For we have already charged that Jews and Greeks alike are all under sin. Just as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. You see that no one is repeated so often there. No one, nobody is righteous. Nobody understands. Nobody seeks after God. All have turned away, and together they become worthless. There is no one who shows kindness, not even one. And that's Romans 3, 9 through 12, and it's quoting Psalm 14 uh, as it says that. And that's not, a, that's not a nice verse to read. I mean, when we read that, that ought to be humbling. That ought to stop us in our tracks right there and say, no one, that includes me. There's nothing special about me. In, in all of humanity, that is our epithet. No one can do this. When you're reading the Bible, it does not take long to figure out that it doesn't hold a very flattering story about humanity, which to me is a very strong indication that it is written by God and not men. Because if I wrote it, I'd make myself look good. But when you read through the Bible, nobody, absolutely nobody looks good 
In fact, out of 1,189 chapters, there's only one verse that declares that mankind is good. One verse out of 23,145 verses. And that all changed in Genesis chapter 3. We're only two chapters in when we get that phrase, mankind, good. Then comes Genesis chapter 3. You know, we read through the story, and the entire biblical storyline presents us with this bunch of so-called heroes of the faith, which is the biggest malarkey that's ever been taught in Sunday school. These guys are not heroes. Some of these guys and gals are murderers, drunkards, manipulators, cowards, sexual deviants, extortionists, liars, con men, adulterers, traitors, abusers, fastest, arrogant nut jobs. And the list goes on and on. Every single one of them. Not one person in the Bible is squeaky clean. Not even Daniel. I know you guys just went through Daniel, didn't you? Yeah, and if you think, well, Daniel, man, he's all right. He did okay, didn't he? Well, he did a lot of good stuff, but read Daniel chapter 9, where he prays his prayer of repentance for his sins, his lack of faith towards God, his infidelity. Wow. Not a one. Now, I'm not saying that any of these guys never did an outstanding deed. I mean, read the mighty men of David, that guy Beniah, you know, who jumped into a pit on a snowy day to kill a lion? Who does stuff like that? I like what it also says that he he fought against an impressive-looking Egyptian. There's one version that says it like that, an impressive-looking Egyptian. And he had a club, and the Egyptian had a spear, so he took the Egyptian spear away from him and killed him with it. That's pretty awesome, but it probably does not weigh eternally. Okay, We're all capable of doing impressive things. But do they weigh eternally? There's not a one of us that can be defined as good people. Living in an acceptable and holy life in God's sight. Here's some other passages that just kind of popcorn out at us. The earliest bit of poetry, Job chapter 15. What is man that he can be pure? Or he who is born of woman, of woman, how can he be righteous? And it's just saying, from birth, we don't even have the capability to be righteous or pure. In Psalm 130, verse 3, it says, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? Could you imagine that? If, we, if everybody were to stand up and God said, Okay, I'm just going to start tallying off the sins. Anybody going to be left standing by the time he's done? Absolutely not. That will be the first to sit down and sit down fast and hard. Solomon wrote in Proverbs 29, Who can say... I have made my heart pure. I am clean from my sin. Now that's a rhetorical question. A rhetorical question is a question where the answer is so obvious you don't have to answer it. Who can say? Absolutely nobody. He also wrote in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 20, Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Not a one. Isaiah 64, 6 says we have all And notice how often all pops up in here. We have all become like one who is unclean. And all our our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. Uh, We could put in dirty diaper there. Okay? Our righteous deeds are like a dirty diaper. We all fade like a leaf, 
and our iniquities like the wind takes us away. Any ever watch a wind right after you've raked? <laughs> Leaves are just going everywhere. That's that's us. You know, that's all the, the wind of our iniquities just take us away like a leaf. Jeremiah seventeen nine about the time when we think, oh, come on, somebody here. I'm I'm pretty sure I'm a decent guy. I'm I'm not all that bad, am I? Jeremiah seventeen nine. The heart is deceitful above all things. And desperately sick, who can understand it? About the time I think I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm hot snot on a gold platter, the reality is my heart says, no, you're a cold booger on a paper plate. <laughs> I'm sorry, I speak at camps. <laughs> That's what I do. Yeah, That's all Old Testament stuff all the way through to the end of the New Testament, 1 John chapter 1. Uh, Verse 8, it says, if we say we have no sin, if we try to convince ourselves we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. Ugh. Ugh. You know, you just can't read the Bible and feel good about mankind because it's revealing a truth about us. it's, It's not a very acceptable truth. Romans 3, what it said and what all those other texts I just read are saying that there is not one single human being who possesses moral integrity. Every single one of us, we've got a crack in our hull. That's that's a nautical term, to have integrity of one's hull. Once the integrity is breached, you're going to (laughs) sink. And we're all sunk. We all come into this world already sunk. Not one of us. You know, and, and, and when I look at that and it begins to offend me kind of personally, well, you know what that is? That's morally impure pride. <laughs> and it's indicting me of this very fact right then and there. Not one. Oh, wait a minute. That's right. Except that one guy. Yeah, that one guy who, who was once asked this question, or I should say, who asked this question, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And you know that story. That's where the rich young ruler came up to Jesus, you know, and he, and he does what people want to do when they want to impress somebody. Good teacher. <laughs> Benevolent rabbi. And, and Jesus, as soon as he heard that, good, why do you call me good? And, and I think there had to be this little twinkle in Jesus' eye and this little mischievous grin, you know, on his, on his, on his lips. And he says, why do you call me good? Because no one's good except God. And that's true. There is not, we just established that. There is no one good, only God. And, and this guy comes up and, and asks Jesus a question. And Jesus says, well, let me ask you a question. Why do you call me good? Is, do you recognize who I am? Do you recognize that I am God in the flesh? Come here to talk to you and to show you the way to salvation? Does, do, do you get that? And then we know the rest of the story that the rich young ruler says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Which is the question of all mankind. How do we do it? What, what, what must I do? Did you catch that part of it? It's up to me. What must I do? And Jesus is still a little bit in mischievous mode here. He says, oh, all right, you know, the commandments. Keep the commandments. And you'll live. And then this guy says, of all things, every single one of them I've kept from my childhood up. I'm surprised Jesus didn't go, liar! You know? 
because he knew better. The guy totally missed the point. There is no one good, not one, except God himself. And then this guy tries to defend his goodness before Jesus Christ, the guy he just called the good teacher. Well, that takes us to Ephesians chapter 2. And, and this is going somewhere. I'm not here, you know, oh, thanks, Pastor. I'll just slither out the door. You don't even have to open it for me when I'm done. Paul writes this amazing thing in Ephesians chapter 2 that talks about the transformation that happens to mankind, to a human being through Jesus Christ. And it's an amazing thing. Ephesians 2, beginning with verse 1, it says this. For those of us who are believers in Jesus Christ, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You know, that's, that's human condition. We're already dead in the water when it comes to our sins. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So what this, what this verse starts off with is what we've already established from Romans 3 and these other texts is the doctrine of depravity. Have you heard that before? The doctrine of depravity. I don't think we really understand that doctrine as well as we should because we don't understand the word depravity. We try to make it something other than me. So what I like to call the doctrine of depravity is the doctrine of incapability. Because you see, it's not about a laundry list of actions or sins that God is addressing. It's a condition that needs to be fixed. And you don't fix a condition by exchanging one moral code for another moral code. But we so often do that as Christians, don't we? Okay, all right. I've, I've accepted Jesus, now I've got, to, I've got to follow a new set of rules, and I'll be okay. I'll get this done. No. All we can do is to have our condition completely transformed. And Paul talked about how that happens. In verse 4, he gets a little bit more specific. He talks about, okay, you were incapable because you were dead in the water with your sins. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even while we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Did you see that? God saved us by grace. We couldn't do it ourselves. While we were still dead in the water, unable, incapable of doing anything to fix our spiritual condition, God steps in. He didn't wait for us to get an inkling of, oh, I think I'm figuring this out, God. Oh, okay, now you're on the right path. Let's help you along a little bit. No, he met us right like that. Takes us kicking and screaming into his kingdom before we can even really understand what this is all about. That's how powerful and how potent grace is. And, and, and then he says this. He says that he's raised us up and seated us with Christ in the heavenly so that in the coming ages, that means the time after the point of salvation, uh, we might experience and we might know 
the immeasurable riches of his grace. That means at, we, we desperately need grace before we meet Jesus Christ. But guess what? You desperately need grace after you meet Jesus Christ. There's just never a time where you and I don't need grace. There's just never a time where God says, well, I think they've got it. Two to lose. Send you on your way now. It's always, oh, there you are again. Good. Good. That's how grace works. And as Paul continues in verse 8, he says, By grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your doing. It is the gift of God. Not as a result of works that no one may boast. I think we understand it, don't we? we? There's no way we can work our way into heaven. There's no way that we can earn a ticket that gets punched and says, all right, welcome to eternal life. We're absolutely incapable of saving ourselves. We can't do it, and I think we get that. But then we forget. Paul continues saying in verse 10, for we are his workmanship, and, and the Greek word there is really awesome. It's, it's the word poema, and it's where we get the English word poem. So in a sense, we are God's work of art. Nothing that we could do ourselves. God makes us a work of art. We were created in Christ Jesus for good works. See, we understand that good works don't save us, but now we understand that saving is for good works so that we would walk in them. But then that's where we screw up. Jesus saved me. Now I must go do good works. And it's all up to me. <laughs> How can it be? If we were incapable of saving ourselves, then how can we be capable of achieving the process of sanctification? Meaning being holy and perfect in God's sight. But don't we fall into that trap of, I've got to try harder. I've got to study more. I've got to somehow figure out how I can do this. And we got to go right back to what, where we were in the beginning. We can't. We can't. You see, that's the bad news. When we talk about preaching the gospel... There's, a, there's, there's two sides to the coin. One is the bad news and the other is the good news. And the bad news is this, is that every single one of us are utterly incapable to do two things. To save ourselves or anybody else. And we're equally incapable to sanctify ourselves or anybody else. Paul understood that. Read Romans chapter 6, 7, and 9, or 6, 7, and 8 through there. Skip eight. That's a great chapter, you know. And and right in the middle of that, Paul's Paul's talking about. He's not saying, "Man, I'm a you know, I was really a I was a wretch," but then Jesus saved me. I mean, I was out there hunting Christians down, persecuting them, even having them sentenced to death. I hated the church. I wanted to eliminate the church. And then God met me in His grace and changed me. And, and, and now I'm a really good guy. I preach and I teach and I plant churches and I try really hard. No, that's not what he says. He says, I don't get it. The good things that I know I ought to do, I don't do. And the very things I know I shouldn't do, I'm always doing. I'm, I'm captured. I am enslaved in this fleshly body of incapability. 
Who will save me from this body of death that makes me this wretched man that I am? Did you catch that? Paul didn't say, I once was a wretch. He says, I still am. And he knows he's covered by grace. He knows that he's saved. He knows that he's walking in a relationship with Jesus Christ. But he understands his incapability within himself to do any of that. And that makes him wretched. He's reminded every day of his failures. Even Paul. Yeah, perfect Christian. Not perfect at all. And he'd be the first one to come up here and say that. When you read through the letters of Paul, what's really fascinating about him is when he was a young apostle, his letters start off, Paul, an apostle of Christ, you know, which is true. That's what he was. And, and then later it's Paul, <laughs> a sinner. And then just before he, he comes to his, his, his death, Paul, the chief of sinners. You see, and that's just a guy who realized his utter incapability well there's good news to the gospel as well it's not just all bad news like i said this is going somewhere because you and i are utterly incapable of accomplishing first of all salvation for ourselves or anyone else and sanctification for ourselves or anyone else god in his mercy came to us in the flesh and did what we could not do He offered himself in our place as the perfect sacrificial payment. You see, we couldn't do that. I wish I could, but I can't do that. I'm not a perfect sacrifice. I have impurities. I am that wretched man like Paul. Only Jesus Christ could live the perfect life in the flesh and then offer himself as the satisfying payment for our sins and our imperfections. And he did that by dying on a cross. We as Christians believe that the cross is a very important thing, isn't it? Okay? It is. I believe that the empty tomb is equally important. You can't have one without the other. Because the second thing that Jesus did that I can't do and you can't do is he defeated death with his own death by rising from the grave so that we can, by faith... Follow him out of our graves. I don't have the capability to defeat death. I wish I did. I wish I did. And I'm not just talking about my own death. When I stood by my brother's bedside last October after his motorcycle accident, I wished nothing more than to be able to defeat death right there, but I couldn't. I'm powerless. I'm incapable. Only Jesus Christ... could rewind death and turn it into life. The third thing that he does that we can't do is give us the Holy Spirit. See, we couldn't go up to heaven and say, uh, hello, God, I'm, I'm here for my injection of the Holy Spirit. Is this going to hurt? We didn't have that capability. So in dying on the cross to first save us from our sins and to make us righteous in God's sight, and then by coming out of the grave to lead us into eternal life, Jesus says, hey, it even gets better. He's like that TV ad. But wait, (laughs) there's more. (laughs) 
And when you read through the discourses of John, the Olivet Discourses, you know, chapters 14 on through 16, 17 in there, um, you, you see this great teaching about Jesus saying, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit because I'm not going to be with you any longer. But I'm not going to leave you like orphans. I've got something even better for you. Instead of you walking along beside me, seeing me, talking to me, and watching me and all these kind of things and interacting with me, I'm actually going to send my spirit to dwell in you. In you. Wow, I did not expect Galatians 2.20 to be read today at the very beginning of the service. No longer my life, but Christ's life. Galatians 2.20 is a mystery to me. (laughs) I don't know how that works. I am incapable of understanding Galatians 2.20's working. I can't draw a diagram or a schematic for it. This is all I know. The truth says from the word of God that when you become a Christian, it's no longer your life that is lived, but the life of Christ, and that by faith. And that's why he sent the Holy Spirit to us, so that it's no longer up to us to try harder in our incapabilities, but to rest in the power of the Holy Spirit's capability, where we are utterly incapable to accomplish any of these things of spiritual value or eternal weight. The Holy Spirit is utterly capable of glorifying God in our bodies and by the things that we do. Not us. Not so that any of us could boast. You know, anybody come up and say, well, that was a good sermon, Pastor. Was it? Then I didn't do it. I have to rely on the Holy Spirit to do that. And when I get to the point as a Christian where I think, well, I've got something to boast about, I'm in trouble. (laughs) I am in so deep trouble. And I need to come back to Jesus and ask for grace and ask for forgiveness that I thought somehow this was up to me. So here's the truth. I'm utterly incapable of saving myself. I am utterly incapable of living a holy life in my power. I could try to do that, but that would just make me a Pharisee. And that's, that's Jesus said your righteousness has to go beyond that of the scribes and the Pharisees. But this is true also. I am not exempt from living a life of service to Jesus Christ and his kingdom. None of us are exempt. Even the unbeliever can't, can't claim exemption from that because all things were made for his glory. God can glorify himself through anything and anybody. None of us are exempt from that. So what do we do if I'm incapable of those things, but yet I'm not exempt from living that sort of a life, then, then, then how do I solve this dilemma? There's only one thing that you or I can do to live a life of, of, of service to Christ and his kingdom, a life which should reflect God because, you see, we were created in the image of God. That means you were created as God's reflection. When people see us, they, sh- they should see God reflected back. And I'm like, how? How? I'm incapable. John 15. Jesus said in verse 4, Abide in me, 
and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. You remember this parable Jesus sets up. He says, I'm the vine and you are the branches. And, 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 a, and a branch should bear fruit, Jesus says. So he says, here's how you do it. You abide in me and I abide in you. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Did you see that? We don't bear fruit by trying harder. You know, you don't go out and plant corn and the stalk comes up and then the stalk goes, and ears of corn pop out. The stalk just abides in the earth and takes the rain when it comes. And the nutrients of the soil begin to abide in the stalk. And fruit is produced. And that's the same thing spiritually that, that happens to us. We can't just force the fruit out. But if we abide in Christ and he abides in us, then we bear much fruit and prove to be his disciples. And then verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And oh, isn't that so good to hear that Jesus' desire for you today is that your joy be full. (laughs) How does that happen when you're sitting there going, but I'm utterly incapable? (laughs) How does that happen? Well, we abide. You see how often that word popped up in that short little passage, abide? And, and what that word really just means in the closest vernacular that we have in our English uh, uh, language is rest. Rest in Jesus and allow him to rest in you. Rest in his word. And as you rest in his word, obedience is just going to come. You see, we don't, we don't produce abiding by being obedient. Obedience is produced because we abide. We abide, and he abides in us. And, and when this happens, our joy is made full. And you, guess what? I can't even produce joy. And, and I, I love joy. I, I love laughter, and I love having fun. And that's why I do camps, you know, because there's just so much fun there. And there's nothing better than to see kids get a break from life so they can just laugh for a while. But I I can't even produce that because, again, if you go to Galatians chapter 5, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Not the fruit of me and you, the fruit of the Spirit. But how often do we find ourselves in that trap of, I have to be a more loving person, I'll try harder. I should be a kinder person, I'll try harder. I should be a more joyful person, I'll try harder. I should be more self-controlled. I'm not going to try that. (laughs) See, It's not by trying harder. It's by abiding in Christ. It's by resting in him. That's the only thing that you and I can do. And and we have to abide in the vine. Don't abide in the fruit. As soon as we start abiding in the fruit, that's just us trying harder again. Abide in the vine, Jesus. And as we do that, like I said, obedience is just going to be the natural outworking of that abiding. That means you've got to slow down from this crazy, 
overly busy life that our culture tells us we're supposed to have. Or maybe it's not our culture. Maybe it's that twisted motive in myself that says, if I'm busy, I'm valuable. If I'm doing something, I'm productive. Jesus says, let the Holy Spirit be productive. Yeah, you've got things to do. Do them. Yeah, you've got a schedule to keep. Keep it. But somehow rearrange your schedule that you're actually having rest. Rest. That's that word Sabbath. We, we misunderstand that word too. You know? did, did you know that God was the first one that showed us what a Sabbath looked like? Six days he worked. And then he rested. Now think about that for a minute. A God that does not get tired. An inexhaustible, indefatigable God. Rested. See, we got rest all wrong. We think, I must work hard so that I can rest. And, and God says, no, just rest so that you can abide. And then the Israelites, who knew nothing but, but slave labor for 400 years, did not even know what a coffee break was. God had to command them, rest. Take a day and rest. And, and it's not just going to church on Sunday. This rest means there's, there's just time when it's just me and God. And, and I should learn how to do that all the time. I should learn how to even do that rest while I'm at work. While, while I've got my hands occupied, I can occupy my heart and mind with God and abide and abide. Get some rest, will you? And you'll be amazed at your experience of God's presence in your life. When we're busy, 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 trying, 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 working, working, working constantly, we often miss that quiet voice of God and that still powerful presence in our lives. Just abide in him. And fruit will be produced. It's going to come. And, and if you're here today and, and maybe you've just come to realize your utter lack of moral integrity, just like me and the rest of us, then I would say invite Jesus to be your Savior. And if you're here today and you said, well, I've already done that, but you still realize your complete incapability of producing the life that would be pleasing to God in your own power and strength, invite Jesus to be your sanctifier. Jesus loves getting invited into our lives. And it's not just a one-time thing. It's every day. Every day, Jesus, I invite you to produce your fruit in me. And if you realize your utter lack of ability to live sacrificially in service to Jesus and his kingdom, invite the Holy Spirit to be your capability to do so. Invite. Let's pray. Father, even as I was working on this sermon, I guess maybe the better thing to say is even while you were working on me with this sermon, uh, I felt this overwhelming conviction, and I feel it even while I'm preaching it too, of how often I run ahead of you 
of how easy it can be for me to try to do all this stuff in, in my own power. How, how I get up in the day and I think of all the things that, uh, that ministry involves and well, I'm going to go out there and get that all accomplished and I don't even stop to abide in you. I don't stop to invite you as my Savior and Sanctifier and my Supplier of your Spirit to make me capable to walk in you. What a waste of day, Lord. I, I don't want to do that anymore, and, I, and I'm sure my brothers and sisters here think the same thing. Lord, we want to be fruitful, but we can't pop the, the ears of, of corn out on our, on our own. So, Lord, today would you abide in us and, and would you show us how to rest in you and your word and in prayer and in communion with one another that would encourage one another towards love and good deeds lord would you do that and, and father may your name be made famous everywhere in this world we can't do that but we ask you to do that because we want you to be glorified uh, not ourselves not our church, none of those things. We want your name to be made known in our communities. So, Lord, teach us to rest. Teach us today to rest in you. And thank you, thank you, thank you for saving us from our incapabilities. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah.